Let's go ahead and let's read our scripture this morning, which is from Isaiah chapter 58. We'll read the whole chapter, and I'm thankful to Mark for praying out of Isaiah 58. There's an awful lot that we can do with Isaiah 58, and we're really focused on one thing this morning, which is the key part of fasting as we finish our sermon series on that. Um, And as you're finding Isaiah 58, let's consider the context. We don't get a timestamp on Isaiah 58. So we're not entirely sure if the people are still in exile or if they're coming out of exile at this point. It appears from the context that they're probably at the edge of exile, perhaps coming out very soon, whether they know that or not. But what we can tell from the text is that the people should be grateful, even though generational disobedience has caused them to go into exile. Right? Our sin doesn't come without consequences if we don't uh, repent and allow God to forgive those sins. Uh, They didn't allow that, so they faced the consequences. They faced exile. God has still been gracious through all this. They should be grateful for everything that God has done, but instead you can see that they're prideful in their attitude towards God. They're trying to get instead of give, essentially, with their relationship with God. So let's read uh, the 14 verses of Isaiah 58. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to their descendants, uh, the descendants of Jacob, their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundation. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, 
if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Seems almost trite to bring up this story after such a hefty reading from Isaiah, but in college, I was with standing with a, or sitting with a group of people at a meal, about six or seven people discussing childhood favorite foods. Somehow that topic came up. And I pointed out that I liked as a child, and still like it as an adult, peanut butter, jelly, and cheese. Great texture, great taste, don't care what kind of cheese at this point in life. To which, as we're talking in the group, those six or seven people all immediately said, ew, gross. Some of you are thinking that right now. But while that ew, gross is still echoing in the air, somebody else said, you know, I really like peanut butter and pickle. To which everybody that just said ew, gross said, wow, that sounds really interesting. I'd like to try that. We all have different appetites. And while it may sound counterintuitive, as we talk about fasting, fasting changes your appetites. Let's talk about some fast facts real quick, since we've been covering it for weeks, and then we'll come back to Isaiah 58. Um, Why fast? As we've covered this over the past few weeks, fasting, you take something good and you give it up for something better. That's what you're doing in fasting. And that better thing, even though you're giving up something good, food, something even as good as peanut butter, jelly, and cheese, some of you might want to try it, you give it up for a relationship with the Father, an increased and deepened relationship with the Father. That's the better thing you're aiming for in something like fasting. We said over the past couple weeks that fasting is a response to God's work. Fasting is also a preparation for God's work. And most importantly, in between that, fasting opens up a pathway towards being able to listen much better and more clearly to God, to actually be able to hear that voice clearly. It focuses our attention solely on the Father. If you're looking for interesting resources on two of those three points, by the way, as responding to God's work, Scott McKnight has a great short little book on fasting that talks all about that, response to God's work. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Cost of Discipleship talks about fasting as a preparation for God's work very clearly. There are plenty of resources out there. And then as far as opening a path, you can read any Christian through the century that's tried fasting, and they'll tell you that it seems to open a pathway to hear God clearly. But why talk about fasting? We talked about this last week as well, but I want to reiterate the points. Jesus talked about it. Jesus practiced it. The disciples practiced it. It was practiced through the Old Testament. Uh, The Day of Atonement particularly is the one day of fasting that they practiced regularly Uh, throughout the Old Testament period, so it's assumed in Scripture that people practiced it. Secondly, we pointed out last week that fasting works as an accelerant to prayer. It's not magical, but for those that are confounded by prayer particularly, I think it's an important and useful tactic to use to get into a prayer life and deepen that relationship with the Father in what I would say is the closest thing to a shortcut you could get to your prayer life. Today, though, I want to talk about the other side of fasting, which is that prayer or fasting changes your appetites, or at least it can. And what that means is that fasting 
I'm going to say these as facts, even though there's, you, you, have to, you can't do it the way they did in Isaiah 58 to get there. Fasting sets you up to be free from ungodly desires. That's the first way it changes your appetite. It sets you free to be from ungodly desires. It tells you what should be gone in your life. And fasting then also sets you free to follow Jesus in a more disciplined manner which means more clarity in hearing God, and ultimately it means the Holy Spirit can work through you and transform you as we set the table that way. When it comes to all disciplines, Ruth Haley Barton, it'll relate to this as well, in Sacred Rhythm says, I cannot transform myself, or anyone else for that matter. What I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. That's what fasting or any other Christian discipline is trying to do. Set the table so that you're open and available to God. So, coming back to Isaiah 58, the problem is laid out for us. Verses 3 and 4, we can see the problem that they have. Starting at verse 3, it says, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Notice us, God. We're doing all the right stuff. Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and in strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. As I said, fasting isn't magic. They're treating it as if it's magic. They're treating it as if they can do the right form and the right ritual in the right way, and it'll make God automatically work as if you put the money in the vending machine and you get the candy. That's what they're doing. Right? I got a mailing uh, at the previous church I served at. Um, it was a flyer somehow ended up on my desk that had, it was back in, in the days when the iPod wasn't in its infancy, but it was kind of in its teen years. Um, so there's a color screen, but not a real great one, that kind of thing. And uh, somebody had produced an iPod, excuse me, iPod-looking device that you could clip onto your belt with the headphones, you could walk on the treadmill, walk around your, your day-to-day life, and it would pray for you. That's what it said. Why are you doing all the work you poor person, you, this thing will pray more effectively on your behalf than you ever could while you walk on the treadmill. That was the claim for four easy payments of $39.95 or something like that. It's a shortcut that doesn't work. You can't just pray the right formula and God's going to just respond. You can't just plug in the music and it's going to work or the little guy praying the right voice. These people are treating it as it's magical. These people are coming to worship, as some of us do sometimes, only expecting to get, not to give to God. They're coming to worship saying, God, pastor, whatever, fill me up. And if you don't fill me up, I'm going to move on to the next thing where I'll get filled up, hopefully, somehow with something. They just want to get. They don't want that relationship. And then you can see, of course, the outcome of all that is that these people practice Sunday nice to Monday vice, right? So they're, they're, well, they're not even that nice on Sunday, but they start that way. We're going to fast, then they're going to slug each other uh, on Sunday, and then come Monday, they're going to mistreat all their workers. 
They're going to go to work after worshiping the, the God of the universe, trying to get something out of him. And then when they go to work on Monday, they're laughing at the jokes they ought not laugh at and doing unethical things. But if we just did the right things, God, you would just do what we want, is their attitude. Now remember, they're living out of a time of generational disobedience where they've been, they face the consequences. God doesn't even have to punish them, he just has them face the consequences. He withholds his favor, essentially, and they go into exile and they have problems. They, they obviously, at this stage of life, they're seeing the light peek through in the book of Isaiah. And the word is coming to them that, that good things could come. Even Isaiah 58 says, you can be repairer of broken walls. Better days are ahead. You'll just turn. And instead of doing that, they're obviously ungrateful and entitled. What does that mean? That means they have a prideful attitude. And pride does that. Pride makes us ungrateful, and it makes us entitled. We think we deserve things we don't, and we're not grateful for the things we have because we always want more. That's what pride does. What's the cure for pride? It's that cute little word that starts with H and it ends in humility. Humility fixes pride. They're simply seeking to get the benefits from God rather than give their attention to God in obedience and communion. Right? Pride steals God's glory. Humility puts it back on God. Appropriately so. So how does one become more humble before the Lord instead of prideful like these folks? This is why we're talking about fasting. It's one of many tools at our disposal to do that. In the 300s, a guy, a monk named John the Short, cool name, he said, if a king wants to take a city whose citizens are hostile, he first captures the food and water of the inhabitants of the city. And when they are starving, subdues them. So it is with gluttony. If a man is earnest in fasting and hunger, the enemies which trouble his soul grow weak. What's part of the pathway to humility and to making sure that we are humble before God when those sinful desires get in the way and try and steal that glory? Well, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.13 gives us a solution. He says, For if you live according to the flesh that's the sinful desire within us for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body say it with me you will live when paul says that phrase put to death some of your translations have the word mortify that's what needs to happen. It's the mortification of the sinful desire. It needs to be put to death in us. That's what needs to happen. These things are habits, attitudes, actions that take us away from God. Sometimes they're obviously sinful and sometimes they're deceitfully sinful in us. But in all cases, they pull us away from God. And our tendency is to do what they tried to do in Isaiah 58 and kind of box them up and put them to the side. But you can see that they come out. We're trying to fast. We're trying to be humble before the Lord, but then they eventually end up punching each other. We often underestimate the power of the sinful nature in us, and so instead of mortifying it, we try and box it up, cage it up, or stick it in a closet. 
And it will come out if we do that again. It will come out to get us. Paul doesn't say, cage it up for later, box it up and tranquilize it. He says, put to death the sinful nature. I was working with a guy a number of years ago now who uh, was very good with computers, had other people set up his web filters for him because he was also hooked on pornography. And he said, I need help. He had other people set up his passwords, set up all the firewalling and everything that he needed to do and all of the, the different protection levels. And he said, but the thing is, I'm good enough that I can get around all of that if I really want to see it. I need accountability and I need help. Right? He knew he couldn't just cage that. It's going to come out. It needed to be cured. It needed to be fixed. He needed some way to mortify that, to put it to death. That's what things like 12-step programs are trying to do as well. They're trying to get down to the core of what's really pulling us to addictions and things like that if you're in a 12-step program. To say, we've got to mortify that thing. We've got to get it out of here. Otherwise, it's just going to come back and haunt you and pull you right back in to what you're trying to fix. Put to death the sinful desire, flesh. Now, if we come back to Isaiah 58 from that, from where Paul was, Isaiah 58, 8 has some good news because there's a, a, a time spent with God as a blessing, and that's the good news of the text. That's what the goal of fasting is. That's what the goal of their worship should be. It ends in Sabbath, talking about Sabbath, the time spent with God. That's a blessing. And that's really what we're looking for in any discipline that we practice, is that blessing of God's presence, to be with God. And there's a mutual blessing that goes on there. We're not just trying to get, we are giving as well in that. But Isaiah 58, 8, it says, then your light will break forth. So if you're responsive to God, and if you're doing what God wants, if you're obedient to God's call, it says, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. God's got your back, is what it says. There are a number of uh, elements of good news there, but one of them is healing. God's going to heal. You know, fasting itself may bring positive physical changes if you've ever done it. You actually do feel good after having done it for a short period of time. That's not really what we're going for, right? If, If you do it because they're doing it with the wrong motives and intent here, So essentially, they're doing a sinful diet plan is what they're doing. Great, they're going to lose some weight, but that's about it. But that's not what fasting is really about. Fasting reprioritizes your motivation. You're trying to put to death that stuff that needs to be out of there, that would pull you away from God, that you would focus your whole body, humble your whole self on the living God with full attention to what God wants, to who God is, to God's presence. And we also recognize from this and from this and really the whole of Scripture, that the greatest blessing we can get, and this is good news for this morning, is God's presence. That's the greatest blessing we can get. Now, let's read uh, verses 9 through 11 again, because it says, God continues on, "Then then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you're attentive to him, if you're doing right, if you're aiming for what God wants rather than just to get out of him, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land 
and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. That's a great image, isn't it? A well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail. Now, the service component, the doing here, is part of the response to being obedient to God and to humbling ourselves. Right? We don't get God's presence by doing it. That's the response to a God who's given us the blessing of his presence. It's when we recognize God's priorities that we would act accordingly, living out God's priorities in the world. That's what it's telling us. When it says something like your light in there, it says it a couple times, your light. Light is used throughout the Old Testament, particularly as a sign of God's blessing. His grace or his favor reflected on those who are in his presence. And so when I say fasting, it changes our appetites. If we hear that time spent with God results in blessing, and God's presence is a blessing, in fact, the greatest blessing we could get, if you hear this morning, that's a good thing. That's a good appetite. If you hear this morning, gosh, I was, I was really hoping for a little bit more, Pastor Evan, then that's actually a sign that our appetites need to be reframed a little bit. And I say that as, as good news because we can do that. We can still humble ourselves so that God's presence as a blessing is what we desire because guess what? That's what we should desire most. That's what we're designed for, is God's presence. Now, how do we set the table for God's presence and how do we make space for Jesus to really get into the business of transformation when it comes to what we've been talking about? I said at the very beginning of the series, I wasn't going to do a big church-wide fasting program or something like that. I'm not. But I am going to encourage you to take a day, the same day this year, to implement fasting or a similar discipline and to practice up until that point that discipline um, so that you can voluntarily do it together if you want. That is to say, the challenge is to prepare now for something akin to or exactly a fast starting on the evening of Good Friday and ending sometime on what's called Holy Saturday, or you can go to Easter Sunday if you so choose. And I'm less worried about fasting, although I do think it's a worthwhile thing to try, um, than that you do a f something that pulls you away and helps to mortify the sinful nature and take away those habits that pull us from God rather than draw us to God. So the challenge to prepare now for Good Friday fast or, or discipline of similar nature Traditionally, just so you know, the church has done this, that, that uh, Holy Saturday is what it's called, is a, a day from Good Friday to sometime in the middle of Holy Saturday, is a traditional time of fasting, and of course in other traditions, Lent itself has a lot of fasting involved, so it all goes part and parcel. Um, but the idea is that you make it a Day of Atonement style day. So in Leviticus, the one fast from the Old Testament that's called for is the Day of Atonement. It's a day of fasting for repentance. Right, to, to try and mortify the flesh and get those things out of there. And so that's what I'm suggesting. It's that style. Now, as we said last week, some people can't fast. Some people shouldn't fast. And if, you've, you know, if you are a kid, don't fast. You can do an alternate thing. If you uh, are basically any preteen or lower, don't bother fasting. Um, if you have medical conditions, medications, don't fast. If you've struggled with eating disorders, don't fast. You get the idea. Don't do it if you shouldn't. For those that can, I actually think it's a wonderful challenge and it takes a little practice to get there. But I'll tell you this. 
here's, here's the bottom line, just so we understand this isn't something, some ritualistic thing that I'm calling you to do like Isaiah 58 where they did it wrong. In confirmation this week with the middle schoolers, we had a good conversation about fasting because they're taking sermon notes right now, in fact. Um, and we were talking about the sermon notes this week and what they took away from them. And as we talked about fasting, um, I said, you don't just have to abstain or fast from food. There are other things that might pull you away. So you could try other things, especially with 14-year-olds. That might be a good idea, right? And so the, at first, there was some conversation about giving up things that are easy to give up that we wanted to give up anyways. So if I used a, for instance, for me, if I were going to abstain from a single food, I might say, well, I'd like to abstain from tomatoes because they're disgusting. It's a scientific fact, right? That's not really a challenge, right? I'm not giving up anything at that point. When we move to how about a screen-free day, whew, that's a bigger deal to a 14-year-old, right? What would that do? if you had an intent behind it to be more intentional with your relationship with God for that day. Right? Don't just give up something easy. Perhaps for some of us, that's what we need to abstain from rather than food. Like, let's just point out part of the reason for fasting, why it's so important and yet so disregarded in our time is we like food. So we don't like the idea of not eating it. But for some of us, we're hooked on technology. We're hooked on screens. Our time is hooked on that. So maybe that is what we need to step back from and practice the discipline of giving up that more often so that we could reacquaint ourselves with God and humble ourselves more. Maybe you're hooked on noise and sound, so you need to shut off the radio or any music or podcasts while you drive and just ask for God's presence as you go to and from work and other places. Maybe you're hooked on being around people, so you need to have lunch alone and have a little solitude time. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's the people time. I don't know. For some of us, maybe we need to change up our devotional habits themselves. We've got them locked in, but they've been the same for so long that maybe it's time for something new. Some of those breath prayers that are coming up or a different mode of trying to listen more instead of talk more in our prayer. Maybe we actually need to implement a better routine of Sabbath or rest in our lives because we don't allow ourselves to do that. We need to do it purposely to pray and play with God. See, there's a lot of ways that we can do this, and my suggestion is pick it now, practice it now, let's do it together on Good Friday and Holy Saturday. I'll give you a prompt when that time comes. Fasting, you see, sets us free to follow Jesus. That's the goal. That's what we're trying to do in a more disciplined way so we can be transformed and set the table to be transformed by the living God. As a response to this, instead of me praying. I'm going to invite us to pray, so I'm going to invite the band to come up here on the stage. And we're going to enter into a time of prayer. The band is going to play through some of this, and so I'm going to have three prompts and times of prayer. I'm going to encourage you, you can continue to pray while while the singing goes on, or you can join in with the singing if you're done with the prayer portion at that time. We're going to pray uh, praise and thanks to God as our first round. We're going to then lay before the Lord our appetites, attitudes, and actions that need to be mortified. And then thirdly, we're going to pray for the blessing of God, that is that we would be able to be free to follow Jesus. And so as you do this, you can remain seated at home. You can take whatever posture you would like, but I would recommend on the second one, um, I, would, I would encourage you to take you might not want to say those out loud if they're appetites and attitudes you want to give up. 
but you may take a posture of prayer, you know, put your hands out or something like that to lay it before the Lord. Physically, there's power in that, uh, in doing that. So let's go together in prayer. As we begin, and you can say these out loud if you want in the room, you can say them out loud at home. Let's give thanks to God and for his presence. So speak words of praise and thanks to God at this time. God, you are good and righteous. harder for us, but pray for those things that need to be mortified. Actions, attitudes, appetites that we need to let go of and we need God's help to do it. 